It doesn't seem to matter where you turn, so many people are distracted these days. Walking through a store, waiting in line, commuting in traffic. Just watch, we're regularly glancing heads down at the palm of our hands, scrolling through social media, text messages, emails, and who knows what else online. Oh, and our kids. Yeah, our kids are by far the most digitally connected, which leaves many parents fearing that their children are also becoming disconnected from reality. According to the latest research, the average 13-year-old spends between 8 and 9 hours a day, 7 days a week, glued to their phone. And for many families, the digital disconnection from parents and kids sharing actual FaceTime together has passed the point of being a problem. So seeking some simple solutions to reconnecting with our digitally disconnected kids is what we're talking about on this episode of the Raising and Ready podcast for parents. Here we encourage and support parents who are doing the best they know how to raise their kids to become confident, capable, and kind in what feels like an ever-changing and often unpredictable world. I'm your host, Jonathan Catherman. I'm a family man, career sociologist, and best-selling author of a series of life skills and character-building titles for tweens, teens, young adults, and parents, including the Raising Them Ready book, which, thanks to the requests of our readers, has also become this, the Raising Them Ready podcast. As I mentioned, simple solutions to reconnecting with your digitally disconnected kids is what this episode is all about. So it's a good thing that's what my guest Thomas Kirstein does every day. As a nationally recognized psychotherapist, author, and television personality, Tom explores the device-dependent world our kids live in and how tech is affecting their mental and emotional well-being. In his professional therapy practice, Tom deals daily with how the cyber world is rewiring kids' brains and affecting their ability to flourish in the real world as anxiety, depression, and attention issues soar. Thankfully, Tom is here to assure us that it's not too late to help our kids escape the attention monopoly popular technology seeks in their young lives. Tom is dedicated to sharing some simple strategies to reducing screen time while increasing mindfulness in the ways that help parents help their kids reclaim their time and attention together as a family. So welcome to a digital device required yet critical conversation with Thomas Kirstein about reconnecting digitally disconnected families in ways that helps parents raise confident, capable, and kind kids. Uh, Tom, let's dive into this conversation about helping kids navigate this anti-social media. I like how you've phrased that, yeah. anti-social media, and look for some actual ways we can help our kids stay off their phones. Now, I'm going to use phones as air quotes because I don't think our kids are on their phones that much. They're on their devices all the time because they rarely ever use it as a phone. Yeah, right. Why do these devices have such a hold on our kids? What is the grasp? Yeah, so all of these products, the social media products, the game, video games that are developed, it's not like, you know, my Space Invaders when I was playing Atari when I was little, right? It doesn't, that didn't have a grip on your brain. All of these products are literally designed to target the pleasure-seeking part of the brain. And that's the part of the brain that produces dopamine, which is the feel-good chemical, right? So dopamine is, is, is uh, associated with every addiction, whether it's drugs, alcohol, gambling, and so forth. So our kids are literally getting a never-ending, all-day-long IV drip of dopamine. And guess what happens when the stimulus, in this case, the phone or the video game system or whatever the electronic device is, when that's removed, there's an absolute withdrawal and crash that manifests itself behaviorally, verbally, and physically. 
well, how quick can that come on? If I say, let's put the phones down and the child immediately responds with, no, it's not fair. I mean, you're not talking about a dopamine drip. It's like pinching off the line and all of a sudden they're starving for that high. How long does it take before they get the itch? Like, I got to get back on the device. I got to get back on the device. Well, you know, they're on these things for depending on the research you look at nine or 10 hours a day, right? That's a and full-time job. Yeah. And it's starting, you know, and I'm, when I'm lecturing, I'll say, to, if, let's say, for example, the parent or group of parents, I'll say, raise your hand. If you think it's smart for an 11 year old to have a smartphone. Nobody has ever raised their hand in all the lectures I've done. Yet the average age of first smartphone issuance is 10 years old. So we all do it, even though we know it's a bad idea. So what happens, the brain has has a, a natural balancing act so that you don't get too much dopamine or too little. It's called homeostasis. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the evolution mm-hmm. when, you know, things were scarce thousands of years ago. But now it's like the scale is completely tipped, you know, from this constant, constant seeking of dopamine that they don't even know they're seeking. And like I said, when that's removed, there's an absolute crash. So to rebalance, for the brain to naturally rebalance itself takes about 30 days. I can hear parents mm-hmm. saying right now, 30 days without a cell phone? You got to be kidding me. My kids would die. Here lies the problem, right? So if a parent is going to go up to a 15 or 16-year-old and say, that's it, I'm taking a phone away for 30 days. You know, the kid is going to go ballistic. I see this all the time. But with each each week, you know, over the course of 30 days, they sort of come back to earth again and become human again. But it's getting over that initial hump. So the best thing we could do is, is really start by reducing it, you know, parenting up. Again, you know, parents are thinking there is no way I'm taking away my 12-year-old cell phone. That would just bring hell to our home. Yes. I mean, and these not for 30 the- days. That's that's just impossible. Give me something I can actually do starting today that will help right. with less screen time and more face and family time. Yes. So here's a couple of things right off the bat. Number one, you know, for us parents, we have to practice what we, what we preach. Number one, we're spending just as much time on these devices when we're at home. So like the family is like, mom is on her phone, dad's on a computer, Johnny's in the basement plays, playing his video game and Sarah's up in her bedroom doing her stuff, right? So that family unit is not really intact. No, it's just not. We're under right? the same roof, but we're not engaging with yeah, each other. Right, it's like four individuals that call themselves a family living under the same roof, but living an isolated life. That's literally what's going on. So that's number one, we got to practice what we preach. Number two, we got to reestablish the family dinner. So, and if we can't do that, because we have both parents working, it's critical that parents gather their kids and every single evening we have family time for at least 15 minutes without any distractions, right? Um, where we're just conversing. That's just critically important. The relationship that a child has with, a, with their parents is the most important thing for their mental and emotional outcomes. And you can't have a relationship if there's no dialogue. And that includes even rides to and from the school. You look in a rearview mirror, every kid in the passenger seat is under a device and there's no dialogue. The next most important thing, in my opinion, maybe the most important, is all, literally 95% of kids, middle schoolers and high schoolers, have their devices in their bedrooms with them at night. When I used to work at a public high school, I retired four years ago. And that last year, I surveyed 100 kids that knew me and trusted me. And I asked them the following question. I said, what time do you go to sleep on school nights? And 92 or 93 of them told me that they went to sleep between 1 and 4 a.m. every night of the school week and that their parents had no idea. And then they're having to get up just a few hours later to go to school. Yeah, and we have a sleep deprivation epidemic, you know, which, which is that alone is going to cause a major anxiety and you know depression symptoms and so forth. So that's number one. And you know, even if you have a kid that's sixteen and they've been allowed to have the phone in the bedroom at night, that's the starting point. Sorry, and, and they're going to give you a hard time. Nobody said parenting was easy. You know, right. what I mean? sure they're going to give you a hard time, and that that's 
you know, what the call is, you know, that that's the call to parenting. It's not supposed to be a smoothly paved road. One of the statements you've talked about uh, kids on the car rides to school. Mm -hmm. And um, I know you've said, look, you know, it's a great place to have uh, family time. Well, if it's a five minute car ride, I did the math, but it's a five minute car ride for 180 days. You just gained 15 hours of face time with your kids. And if your car rides 10 minutes, you just got 30 hours back with the family. Yeah. And if that's back and forth, that's 60 hours, right? My daughter is, you know, I drive her to high school. The high school is 15 minutes away. I, I drive her every day and we have conversations. Sometimes she doesn't want to talk, but you know, we have really, we've had, we have great conversations and we connect and, you know, it's uh, to me is so darn important, even to sports, you know, events and so forth. Yeah. You know, we got to like, you know, we got to get our kids out of this fog, you know, parents have to really just, we got to just kind of zero in and take a look around and, and see what's happening and like reclaim our kids. Someone else has gained and is retaining their attention. Yep. And in turn, they're also sharing with their kids the shoulds and shouldn'ts, the do's and don'ts of life. And and that's our role as parents. That's right. Yeah. I mean, kids are, you know, their 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 beliefs, their realities, all right, what they think is fact is what they get on TikTok. Man, did you do you feel the same way? Like like this the ceiling has been lifted in what quality looks like. Like this is how great my life is. That's that that is unachievable. It's so high. Yeah, we've also like dropped to the to the basement our our disbelief. So we've got kids that have like their disbelief is as low as it can go, but their expectations are so high it can't be achieved, which leaves this gigantic space in the middle that they're trying to live in. How can anybody feel like they have personal self-esteem when they're living in that vacuum? Yeah, that's what I talk about in my lectures. I have a section that's called cyber self-esteem, and I talk about the word self-esteem and the importance of the word self. Mm. Right? particularly for kids you take like to your point you take like a middle school or an adolescent so in, what is adolescence adolescence is this limbo purgatory stage right where you're not a child and you're not an adult and in that stage of development um with that comes a lot of a lot of issues which are normal insecurity you look weird you're trying to fit you know figure out where you you know where you fit in so insecurity is 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 a, is what adolescence is but now you layer in, you know, the highlight reel that our kids are viewing of all of their quote friends, right? And how great everybody else's life is in that vulnerable mind during adolescence. And over time, the gradual mindset of that child is as follows. Everybody else's life is so wonderful and perfect. My life really stinks. So here we have kids, let's say you've got a 10 year old at home. I can guarantee that there's parents with 10 year olds who are hearing this all the time. All of my friends have a phone. Yep. When do I get my phone? Actually, so there's some parents out there going, my eight-year-old saying that to me right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah you're not <laughs> When's the right time for a kid to get a, a device? Yeah, so that's a question that comes up all the time, right? So apparently when I'm lecturing, parents will say, what is the appropriate age, right? So the answer is really late adolescence, but the answer I give is this. It's a little bit of a kind of an eye-opener when they ask that question, what is the appropriate age? My answer is when you feel comfortable with them, with them, watching adult content if you know what i mean mm. wow okay that throws out the whole concept that it's about maturity and not age what you're saying is it's about accessibility and not age yeah i mean you take a you know 12 year old boy and they're on you know on their phone on social media and you get all these pop-ups and all of a sudden some you know attractive woman pops up which is going to happen you think that kid's not going to click on that and it can get, get very easily dragged down this very dark path. So I think that right there is a little bit of a, okay, I get it moment, you know, when I say that for parents.
in addition to just their pestering and asking and comparing, we also have to ask ourselves as parents, how prepared have we readied our children to see the whole world? Cause that's what they have. They have excess access to information in the palm of their hand at all times. And yeah, they're scroll doom scrolling, you know, getting sucked in the algorithms of TikTok and YouTube, for example, you know, it's one video after the next, it's never, it, it's endless content, but the problem, it's not so much what they're, what they're consuming, right? It's what they're not doing, which is being right. Yeah. So we are human beings, meaning we need silence. We need to take a breath of air. We need to think on our own. We need to problem solve and analyze. But if we're never present and we're always distracted, you know, then we never discover the self part of self and the being part of human. Hmm. Okay. So let's take that to the dinner table. I like that you mentioned earlier, you know, bring, bring the dinner table back. That was always a standard in our home. Oh yeah. We ate at least one meal together as a family every day. Uh, and there was no cell phones allowed at the dinner table. And every now and then one of my sons would sneak the cell phone in there and we'd say, you know, well, who'd you, who'd you invite to dinner with you? Yeah. <laughs> no. Here's the problem. I see a lot of families have, they don't even eat dinner together because they don't have the time. There's so much going on. There's work schedules and sports schedules and club schedules and music schedules. And, and it's just, there's, it feels like we're just ships passing constantly. Yeah. So you're advocating for, for this isn't just the practice of the cell phone. It's the practice of the family spending time together minus their devices. So you're talking about really two things here, bring the family closer and the phones and technologies further away from that family time. Yeah. So I have a site, I have a citation in a book and disconnected where the average parent nowadays spends just three and a half minutes per week in meaningful conversation with their children. So when you look at, you take the, you know, the dinner table as an example, families that do, you know, have regular, you know, most nights of the week have dinner together, uninterrupted or undistracted. Some of the stats, you know, it shows that the kids that are in those kinds of families are more likely to excel academically or less likely to develop a mental health disorder are less likely to engage in drug and alcohol use, are less, less likely to engage in early sexual behavior, and are more likely to be successful in life by age 30 than their peers that don't have that time around the dinner table with their families. And if you can't do dinner because everybody's busy, then carve out 15 minutes a night, even if it's at nine o'clock at night, where, where everybody's home and everybody stops what they're doing, and we and we you know get together and 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 be, you know, and have conversations and connect with one another. That's what a family is. We did that as a family in that at times, in addition to like uh, dinner time, I just find what my kids are interested in and I yeah. just join in what they're interested in. It didn't have to matter if I was interested in it or not just interested in what my sons wanted to do. So we've done everything from, you know, wrench on cars to write music because that's what they were interested in. You talk to any individual about what you know they're interested in and you'll have a conversation that'll go on forever. Right, right. Okay, so I, I spent a lot of time in schools with administrators and, and educators where they say one of their biggest pet peeves is the parents won't back the school up when it comes to the tech rule at school. So no, no cell phones in the classroom unless assigned, and yet kids are using their phones. They get in trouble. The phone gets, quote, unquote, taken away. Next thing you know, you've got a parent calling the school, ranting and raving about their kid's phone got taken away, whereas the it was the child who essentially disobeyed the school rule. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so I, I was I just did a lecture, uh, one of the lectures I did last week. 
a guy, you know, during the Q&A, a guy, uh, some dad did his own sort of survey among parents about the idea of banning phones from entering the school, which if I was in charge of the United States education system, there would be no phones entering the school building, period. OK, I'll get into that in a minute. But interestingly, in this guy's you know survey that he did, he was shocked because he's on board with that. And only 17 percent of parents are on board with that. And the reason is that this device has become what I call the umbilical cord between parent mm -hmm. and child. Parents need to know everything their kids are doing. What if there's an emergency? All this other stuff, right? Um, which is all just not not really a reality. I was reading recently where England just now have banned phones from entering the school, period. Because you can do whatever you do, whatever school does, you know, you got to turn your phone in or you can't have your phone on. The kids circumvent that. Even if you have to turn your phone in, they turn their old phone in and have their new one in their pocket and you don't know it. But even in the classroom, I give an example at my lectures. Um, I was doing a lecture several years ago somewhere out west. Uh, I think it was a teacher's professional development. And a teacher shared something with me. She gave me the whole sheet. A high school teacher, she had all of her students take their phones out and turn your light, the, the, the alerts on high on their phones. And they all had a Google Doc in front of them. And they had to tally up every time they got any kind of a notification, whether it was, you know, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, text message, Snapchat, you know, uh, and so forth. It was like a laser light show with audio in the classroom. Right. Oh, deafening. Yeah. And over that the course of that hour, there was, you know, something like 1500 total notifications in that class period. And those kids, when they're sitting, even if they have their, if they have that phone in their pocket on with the, on buzzer, which most of them do, the brain can't do two things at once. So if a kid's sitting there and a teacher's teaching, you know, AP calculus and all of a sudden every five seconds, you're getting a notification in your pocket, even though you can't look at it, you also can't listen to what the teacher just said. Impossible. Brain is going to that Oh my God, who's reaching yeah, out? People, people mix up this whole multitasking and multi-attention thing. You can multitask, but you can't multi-attention. Yeah, so even, even multitasking, right? Task switching, doing one thing to the next. The higher, um, I have some research in my book on that as well. The higher the level, the multitasker, the more lousy the individual is at multitasking. So the more they're doing, the less they're getting done. That's correct. Because... The human brain can only do one thing at a time. We can't do more than one thing at a time. It's just not possible. Man. Okay. So back to the classroom, we've got these parents who are called an umbilical cord. It's like, where are they? Can I get a hold of them? Can they get a hold of me? We, you and I went to school. We didn't have that problem. No, because we, right. And it's not like, you know, and, and this perception of the world being so dangerous is kind of like, like, you know, you don't see too many kids walking to school anymore because, you know, parents are afraid of kidnapping, right? You know, and the reason is if you hear about if there is a kidnapping in the middle of Alabama, you know, we all now know about it all over the country, right on our phones, whereas 15, 20 years ago, we wouldn't have even heard about it. So mm -hmm. it creates this perception that there's, you know, a kidnapping epidemic. Yet, statistically, kidnapping is at an all-time historic low, and parents are afraid to send their kids walking to school. <laughs> That's just an example of you know, how this stuff gets infiltrated. Perception of reality versus yeah. reality. Yeah, that's correct. Exactly. Boom. Okay. So we can't roll back the clock. The cat's out of the bag. Pandora's box has been opened and your kids got a device. They've got a cell phone. They've got their video games. They have a television in their room. Do you take it away? Do you use that device as a, as a punishment? I mean, I, yeah, I'll be honest I, with you, this is a loaded question because I have a concept here, but I, I, 
You deal with this all the time. You have kids in your office who are coming to you for, for help. And I, you've got to hear kids say, and my parents took away my phone. All the time. Mm-hmm. And, and the parents will bring that up too. It's like, it, it's used as a punishment. It shouldn't really be used as a punishment. It should be, you, it should be a conversation that parents have with their children. Mm. And the conversation should be, you know, we're not allowing you to have a, a television in your bedroom or your phone in your bedroom. And not because I said so, I'm your parent, because here's why. You know, and have like at all, like you can't take your phone into your room at all. I mean, you know, a little bit. I mean, again, everything in moderation. It's not even that tech is bad, right? Tech is actually a good thing. It's kind of like the analogy I give too when I'm giving lectures. I'll say, hey, look, I'm not anti-tech. It's kind of like this. If you have a glass of red wine with dinner, that's there's nothing wrong with that. But if you have nine or 10 glasses of red wine with dinner, seven days a week, now we have a problem. Mm. And that's where we're at. It's not really necessarily the tech. It's the nine or 10 hours a day. Think about that. Just look at 10 hours at 70 hours a week. Right now, kids spend, adults too, but kids, they spend more time in their life staring at a screen than any other activity, including school and sleep. And that's where the problem is, right? We, the tech isn't bad. We have to great, we have to greatly reduce it. And that's up. So to it's us. like, it's like we're using it inappropriately. A lot of our kids are using tech as a toy rather than as a tool. Yeah, it's exactly. I mean, it's, you know, it's as a tool, it's, it's useful, but it's rigged against us as especially against our kids, because, you know, these things they know what they're doing, big tech, all these, you know, executives, they, they don't even allow their kids to use these things, you know, with delayed their own kids and prevented their own kids from using certain, you know, social media and so forth. And these are the ones developing this. So they know darn well what they're doing, you know, in terms of like hook, line and sinkering, you know, our kids' brains into this vortex and out of, you know, out of reality. I mean, how can you have strong mental and, and, and emotional well-being if you're not even thinking? If you're not doing your own thinking, if you're not present, if you don't even know who you are and you're always somewhere else and we're just getting bombarded with, with garbage all day long. The brains aren't fully developed, so they don't know how to manage and navigate that. And, and it's in turn also affecting how the brain is developing. Yeah. So let's fast forward. You've got a generation of young people today that are spending nine hours on tech and now they're 25 and they're in a job. Yeah, exactly. So interestingly that you brought up like 25, that's when the prefrontal cortex of the brain is fully developed, right? I see, you know, young adults at my office too. And the, the silver lining, you know, some good news here that I'm seeing is that these, you know, uh, mid twenties individuals, I've had a whole bunch of them that have come to my office and said, you know what? I deleted TikTok. I deleted my Snapchat and Instagram account because it's sucking up so much of my time and all I want to do is succeed in my career. So mm. now we're seeing a positive, you know, silver lining in some respects. Imagine that if a, a, a tween or a teen dedicated half of their current screen time to a purpose or a passion. Like if they spend as much time in their music instrument or their sports or their STEM or their pick as they do on social media, what would happen to that individual as they grow mature through their tweens, teens, and early twenties? You know, if you took a kid and they took half those hours and took batting practice every day instead, maybe they'd be a, you know, a New York Yankee or if they played <laughs> trumpet, they'd be in, you know, in Carnegie hall. You know what I mean? All right, let's, let's back it up just a little bit here. I want to go back to the, um, don't take your kid's phone away. We had a rule in our house. I told my sons when they got their devices, I said, all right, here's the deal. It's not your device. It's mine. Mm -hmm. 
I own this and it is currently on loan to you. And to help solidify that this is mine, not yours, and that I will have access to it as need be. Every now and then I want to kind of do an audit of how it's being used. I want to be able to have access to your device and you will gain levels of trust on how you use it. But in order to do that, here's a little contract I want you to sign. This is a contract and it doesn't really have as much to do with how you use the phone as much as how you interact with others now that you have a phone. If you're disrespectful to your mother and I, if you refuse to leave your phone on the counter when we have dinner, if you take it to bed with you, all the things we've talked about, then you will choose to forfeit your phone. I'm not going to take it away from you. You're going to choose to forfeit it. So I will never take away your phone. You might forfeit it. What do you think of that? Yeah, well, well, it's funny because I have that in Disconnected, the same exact thing you just mentioned. It's called the uh, you know, cell phone um, contract, smartphone contract. And if, what you just said is the first tip which is the, your phone is not your phone. It's my phone. I'm just leasing it to you for free. And it, you know, they, the kid has to sign it. Here are the rules, right? Number one, if the phone breaks or you drop it in the toilet, you're responsible for paying for it. If you violate the rules that we've established, the phone will be removed. But you know what, what, by doing that, I mean, for, I, I again, I, I prefer delaying them as long as possible, but if, you know, if you're going to go ahead and do it, you know, set up this uh, phone contract because now, you know, that child has signed this, and anytime they can't be, they could try to blame mom and dad, but, but it's their own doing when they fail and they will fail. There's no question about it. Um, but it gives them accountability. It gives them a place to practice, a safe place to practice, because there's a point in their life where they go out into the quote unquote rest of the world, the real world, and they have to abide by contracts. And the first time that, that they signed their name to something, I, I think it's a shame. It's the first time they signed their name to something is with a stranger we don't even know or a cell phone service or a rent agreement or on a car lease. Why not parents, we get them the opportunity to practice in a safe place at home first so they understand, I better read the details of this agreement that I am signing my name to about if I'm going to get to use a phone in our home or not. That's going to translate as they mature up into the rest of their lives. So, okay, uh, Tom, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm not the only one who think that's a good idea. So what's a space of hope for parents? I know we're not getting devices, phones out of our kids' hands forever. It's, we just, I, I, I hear you and I completely agree with you that they need to learn to manage that time in a healthy way. I ran into some, um, some men I see on the regular basis and they were talking about my son. And we were sitting there chatting it up, and, and one of them said, man, I saw your son design this logo on his phone in about 10 minutes, and now that is a, a corporation is using that logo every day. How cool was that, that he, he did it on his phone? So in a way, he just was carrying this tool with him in his pocket and was inspired and created a, a brand logo. So to me, that's a positive context of, of what cell phones can be used if they're managed well. There's got to be some other good news out there for parents. So, the, the so I think, that, honestly, I think the most positive thing is the mirror. Like when a parent looks at themselves in a mirror and says, you know what? Yeah. You know what? I my, my kid's up in his bedroom all the time, right? We don't really communicate in our household and I'm making that change now. So there's hope. You know, that's that that's the positive thing. There's hope. We have to look ourselves in the mirror and say, this is what I'm committing to. And it's not all about taking things away. You know, it's just about rekindling and and and, and reconnecting our families. I mean, what's more powerful than the family unit? There isn't anything. Nothing. 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 
you know, and that's the key. I mean, when we have kids come from strong, love, loving families, um, you know, what are their outcomes? I mean, they, they thrive in life for the most part, you know, so it really starts it as if the mirror, in my opinion, is the foundation. We need to look ourselves in the mirror and, and start to make a commitment right now and, and, and just say, look, I, I'm in charge of my family. You know, here, these are the rules, you know, I'm not allowing big tech, you know, to be the to, to parent my kids anymore. So parents, perhaps as you're thinking about this conversation, Tom and I've had, take a week and do first what you're going to ask your kids to do. Put your phones down when others are around. Be present. Be um, Yeah, it's the, you know, the being in the word human being, which is the now, which is the breath of air, which is the conscious present mind. And that's the foundation to everything. That's the foundation of us being in control of our thinking, our emotions, our outcomes. You know, it does start with us. You know, that reflective silent time is critically important. You know, boredom. I talk about boredom. Boredom is like the miracle grow you know, for the mind and the emotions. And you take a kid today, they don't even know what boredom is because it doesn't exist anymore. It is out of boredom, creativity springs. Yeah, that's how we connect. I mean, we're part of, you know, of the whole here, you know, of the universe, of the outdoors. And, you know, and, and we're not like, we're living in another planet. Like I give an example in my lecture, I show, you know, a lion in a cage, right? And I explain, I'm like, all right, if that lion was born in a zoo, right? And it's like two or three years old, it can't be released out into the wild because it would not know how to survive in its, quote, natural habitat, right? It wouldn't know how to hunt and so forth. And if you look at our generation of kids, and I do hope I'm wrong about this, you know, if they're spending every waking second, literally, of their life in another planet called the cyber world, right? What's How do, how do we expect them to thrive and survive in the real world? Yeah, learning those life skills a little at a time over time means not being distracted by things like tech and media. So I agree with you. Okay, so parents, teach your kids to play. I love the, the phrase you used, Tom, uh, green time versus screen time. More green time, less screen time. Yeah. Parents, let's put our own devices down when our kids are around. Certainly when we're driving, no cell phones in the car. Not even a stoplights. Don't even check your messages and email. Spend the time with the family. Spend the time with yourself. Get to know who you are and let them get to learn who they are as well. Yeah. Self first. Everything starts with self. You know, like I, if my, you know, cup is running over, I have something to offer. If I'm empty, I have nothing to offer. So we have to, you know, really as parents practice these things on our own and really, you know, experience the depth, the rest of the iceberg of what being is, what self is, and then lend that to our kids just based on exposure and conversation. Tom, thanks so much for spending time talking to us today about tech and uh, ways we can help our kids navigate anti-social media, social media, screen time, text time, sleep time, meal time, car ride time. We covered a lot of, of space here. Family time. Family time. Yeah. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you taking your time to share with uh, parents on the Raising Ready podcast. Man, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining Thomas Kirstein and myself in today's conversation about how to reconnect with our digitally disconnected kids. To learn more about Tom's work, his books, or how to schedule him to lecture at your school, church, or organization about tech, kids, and family connections, just follow the links in the show notes. If you're enjoying and learning from this and other episodes of the Raising Them Ready podcast, be sure to pick up a copy of the Raising Them Ready book. It's available wherever you buy your print, digital, and audiobooks. 
There you'll also find our other best-selling life skills and personal development books and resources for tweens, teens, young adults, parents, educators, and mentors. To learn more about booking me as a guest speaker for your youth, parent, educator, professional development conference, or about my consulting services, please send me a message through our social media pages or email me through our website. You can find, like, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Raising Ready Podcast and on our website at RaisingRay.com. Also, please follow and leave us up to a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions about topics or guests you'd like me to bring to the Raising Ready Podcast, I'd like to hear from you. Just contact me through our social media pages or website, again, on Facebook and Instagram at Raising Ready Podcast and online at RaisingRay.com. Now, parents, go and enjoy raising your kids ready. Knowing your child's greatness tomorrow begins with your guidance today.